covered, so we're going to hop in today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Jason. Uh, I'm uh, the lead pastor around here along with uh, Erica, and it's so good to have you uh, guys here today. Hey, um, we're going we're gonna to dig into some territory today and over the next three weeks. Okay, so I told you it was going to happen eventually. If you're a guest with us here, I just need to tell you, go back to YouTube. You can check out all the messages. How many of you enjoyed Nathan Finocchio last week? Um, he said, this is what he said to me. Um, he, he said, I'm, I want to come back. So would you guys be all right with that? So we're going to have him back. Uh, he said, top three easiest churches to preach at. And uh, so that's awesome. So thank you guys for leaning in um, to that. Uh, I want to take us to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 to 10. And uh, before, before I get into the title of my message today in this uh, piece of scripture, um, we're going we're gonna to start a mini-series within this series. <laughs> I told you it was going to happen. So we're going to have part one today, part two next week, and part three the following week to close out this series. Um, I'm going to give you the title, uh, the title of this little, this little three-part over the next three weeks with underneath Defense of the, uh, Against the Dark Arts is going to be called The Trifecta of Temptation. And we're going to deal with the next three weeks is what it's going to look like. Today, money. <clears throat> yeah, the church got quiet. Um, Money, power, sex. Okay? Every shout money? Every shout power? Every shout sex. I just want to see if you do it. Um, it's awesome. You did it. Well done. So I'll talk about why and, and, and what this looks like over the next three weeks. Let's go to our opening scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 through to 10. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, If anyone teaches false doctrine and it does not agree... With the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is A. Ever shout A. A. Okay, how many of you know that we've mixed this up sometimes? Many of us have this idea in mind that the love of money is the. He doesn't say the, he says A. A. How many of you would agree with me that's very different, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm going to skip a portion of scripture that, uh, that sits in between this one and 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through to 19. So we're fast forwarding a little bit. And he continues on. Here's the instruction based upon that reality. Watch what he says. Instruct those who are rich in, in the present age. I want to I venture to say and submit to all of us that that would be every single one of us in this room. That would be every single one of us in this room. Remember, America is not the only place on the planet. And we live in a very top percentage when it comes to wealth and money. So in the large scheme of things where we sit back sometimes and, and, and feel the circumstances of our reality and situation, we have to understand that by way of, of, the, of the expanse of the world, we're as, we are sitting in a very, very strong position, albeit I'd say a blessed position. 
So he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming of age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So today, as we continue on this series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, I want to speak to you from the subject, the trifecta of temptation, part one, as we look at the issues of money and how the enemy uses it as a dark art and what the Bible offers to us as a way forward in facing the power that it has in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time today? God, we come to you today humble and submitted. In this moment, we once again offer everything that we are, our yacht and kebab. We give you our mind, we give you our body, we give you our heart, and we say work on our soul. God, we offer the totality of who we are to you right now. And in that place of submission, I pray that your truth would set us free. And so God, may the weight of your glory be in this room today. May the weight of your word change us today. And it's in your presence that we offer ourselves. Speak to us now. We're listening in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. Amen. Amen. Show of hands, therapeutic moment. How many of you would agree with me temptation's real? It's a real thing, right? Like just put, put a line of Oreos in front of me and it's a real deal. Actually now I've switched from Oreos. I have three pretty massive temptations in my life. Sour Patch Kids, Mike and Ike's, and High Chews. Um, how many of you like yourself a High Chew? I've discovered these things. It's, it's game over for my life. So we can all agree that temptation has a very real power in our lives. Every single one of us has experienced the pull, the allure, and the sheer attentive power that is possessed by temptation. It's amazing what happens when you see something, smell something. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You walk down the street and all of a sudden you get a whiff of that just beautiful like garlicky smell and all of a sudden you want fries and burgers and whatever else is around you. Or is that just me? <laughs> You see something, you smell something, you touch something, you, you taste something. See, here's the, here's the truth about temptation is that it's not an ethereal spiritual concept. That's the problem with it. Temptation is physiological. It, it, it's mental. It's emotional. Temptation pushes and, and, and pulls on the parts of us that have gaps and, and grievances. Temptation plays on our desires and, and our emotions and our, and our dysfunctions. It plays on our weaknesses and our strength. It operates... This is a weird one. It operates in our joy and in our pain. You ever noticed that before? People can be in a jovial moment and they're tempted to do something that ends up destroying their life because it was a joyful moment. And temptation operates in our pain. We're in so much pain that we're pulled towards something. This is what's so powerful about temptation is it exists at every moment, in every situation, and in every area of our lives. However, I've watched people's lives, including my own, and I've come to realize that temptation, while having a cachet of areas that it likes to show up in, there are three major areas where we really see it exercise its brutality the most. These three areas are money. Have a shout money. Have a shout power. One more time, have a shout sex. So over the next three weeks, hence part one, 
We're going to be looking at each of these areas in order to shed some light on them and hopefully equip each of us to face these areas of our lives that impact us all in one way. We're not, we're, none of us are void of the issue of temptation when it, when it comes to these areas. Would you agree with me today? Every single one of these pushes and pulls on us. Here's the reason why. I've come to realize that the reason why these things have such a great impact on our lives and the temptations that come through them is because of a very sobering truth concerning the reality of, of humanity. Here it is. We are notoriously hard to satisfy. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try. <laughs> and I try. Right? Don't worry. There's going to be more songs that come into play. We're notoriously hard to satisfy. You see, inherent in each of these, we tend to believe, in each of these, money, power, sex, we tend to believe are the raw ingredients for contentment in our lives. Think about it. If I just had more money, then. If I had just had more power, then. If I could just do what I want with my body, then. These next three weeks are going to be some of the most important weeks in this series, so I want to encourage you do not miss them. We're going to round this thing out with some strength, and then we're going to go into December into a series called Joyful. <laughs> some of you are like, woo! Paul writes concerning these issues and the subsequent temptations that come in and, in and through them. Because Paul knew what it meant to be tempted in these areas. He also knew the antidote to the issue as well, contentment. Ever shout Contentment. Okay. You see, contentment squarely deals with the life-controlling power of unfulfilled desires, ambitions, and every driving need for more, which tends to be the driver behind each of these things. More money, more power, more sex. It's the driver, more. So listen to how Paul squares off with it. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Watch what he writes. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in, in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Man, what a verse. So he's squarely dealing with it. He's just one, two punches. In this issue, the temptations that we face in these three areas are because we tend to have fulfillment issues. Contentment deals head on with this. So what I want to do today is I want to take a look at the first one, money. Next week, power, authority. We're going to look at the scripture and why God's word is our ultimate authority. And then the following week, we're going to look at, look at sex. Listen to what one author wrote concerning money. We're always chasing fulfillment, but never seem to reach it. We work more hours to make more money. We make more money to buy more stuff. We buy more stuff to make our leisure time more enjoyable. Then we sacrifice that free time in order to work more. How much is enough? Paul lets Timothy know that the love of money is a root of evil. One great theologian by the name of the notorious B.I.G. said it like this. Mo money, mo problems. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? I told you it was coming. <laughs> See, money in and of itself, is not, it's not evil, just the love of it. But I want to submit to us today that the love of really anything more than God becomes an idol and ultimately evil in our life. Right. Anything can find that position. It's just these three things have the tendency to be the, the major ones in our life. So how do, we, how, do we, 
that we focus through this. See, here, here's something, maybe write this down today if, if you need some help with it. Money can be the gateway drug, if you will, to all kinds of issues. So here's the truth. We have to deal with how we deal with money or money will deal with us. So that one more time. We have to deal with how we deal with money or money will deal with us. And we need to have an honest conversation about this today. I'm gonna tell you right now, as your pastor, there's not a special giving moment at the end of this message. Just in case some of you were wondering, okay? We're not walking into some campaign or anything like that. My job is to pastor you today. Have an honest conversation. We're gonna dig into a bucket load of scripture today to back this up. But I just need to let us know that money, sex, and power, these are, these are the issues, and we have to contend with them, especially in this moment. So let's look at three truths concerning money and resource that we have to have a healthy relationship with in order to avoid the temptations that come when there is a love of it. Every shot, number one? Here's the first truth. Right measurement creates a healthy relationship with money. Now, do not go quiet on me. Do not back down. Stay strong with me, all right? Right measurement creates a healthy relationship with money. And I know, let me say this as a qualifier, none of these things that I'm about to say today are meant to shame anybody. We are all on different journeys of our financial realities. But we need to learn how to pastor this area in our lives. Let me say that you are the shepherd of your finance in your life. So you have a ministry role in your own life to steward this area well. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 33 says this, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. We've read the scripture many times around here. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body or what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither snow, uh, sow or reap, gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they, hear the value language in here, the, the, the material language that's in here that Jesus is speaking of. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. A lot of times this piece of scripture has been, has been used to, to garner giving. It's not what this is an application of. This is an application of measurement of material. In other words, what does something weigh to you? Here, here's, a, here's a better question for you at the end of the day. Um, a better way to look at it is, what does money weigh in our lives? What does money weigh in our life? Richard Foster, whose celebration of discipline remains one of the most influential modern works on Christian spirituality, puts it this way. If in a comparatively simple society our Lord lays such strong emphasis upon the spiritual dangers of wealth, how much more should we who live in a highly affluent culture take seriously the economic question? How do we measure things in our life? How do you measure things? How do I measure things? How do I weigh things in my life? In other words, what holds the greatest amount of importance in your life? Big questions. These are like existential questions. Some of us are gonna walk out of here and be like, whoa, big question. 
See, when we measure things wrong, the recipe of our life is out of balance. How many of you love to bake in here? Where are my bakers? Candlestick makers? No one? Okay. I don't bake. There's math involved. I take grand issue with baking. I can, I can, I can destroy pretty much about any baking project. I can destroy Bisquick if given the option. And I've done it before. I don't know what it is. See, here, here for me, cooking, this is why I love cooking. Because cooking is to taste, isn't it? Like you can get in there, you can open up the drawer, you can grab 85 spices and just start like throwing them in the air, a little salt bay here, and just like all of this stuff. Ever. But baking, it's precise. Why? Because in, a bake, in baking, everything has an intentional weight. It has an intentional measurement. And if you get off on it at all, how many of you know? Then it's too salty or then it's too sweet or your cookies went flat. <laughs> Everything needs to be measured exactly or you will have a problem with outcome. So the question that we're getting at is if we've measured money inappropriately in our lives. For some of us in this room today, money is a massive deal. And the fact that I'm talking about it, you are already personally offended. (laughs) Yep, there goes the preacher talking about money again. The problem is, is that it's coming from a biblical perspective. That's why we're going to work through it. You can do whatever you want with your money. God doesn't need your money. We'll talk about that in a minute. He just wants your heart. The problem is for many of us, our heart and our checkbook is grafted together. You ever notice what we'll do in the name of money? We'll neglect our kids. We'll neglect our families. We'll neglect our friendships. We'll neglect our own personal health. All in the name of one more dollar. Why? Because the measurement's off. It has more weight in our lives. Come, am I talking to anybody today? So we've got to, we've got to measure. See, the weight that we give to something determines, determines its importance in our lives. Another great theologian put it like this. Sometimes we just got to give it away, give it away, <laughs> give it away now. What have you given weight to in your life? (laughs) Number two, everybody shout number two. This one I'm gonna spend a lot more time on because there's so much Bible when it comes to this issue. Number two, right management creates healthy habits with money. Right management creates healthy habits with, with money. Here's the question. Do you manage money or does money manage you? Big piece of scripture, y'all ready? Matthew 25, 14 through to 30, says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another one, or to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had The two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I wouldn't hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Is there this important language? But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. F.D. Bruner comments, not all servants are given the same amount, since each has different capabilities and gifts. In the kingdom of Christ, not all are created equal, nor is everyone expected to perform at the same level of competence, but all are expected to do their best as faithful stewards. Right stewardship, write this down today, is seen in how we budget, spend, obey, and sacrifice. It's about management, healthy habits. Budget. Ever shot budget? Budget. Ever turn your neighbor and say, you got a budget? Turn back to them and say, I'm gonna budge you. Stay out of my business. (laughs) I won't spend today, I won't spend a lot of time on this today for the sake of our time. I wanna encourage you to get help in this area if it's a point of tension or deficit in your life. There's lots of different programs. We have them in here. We offer them in table groups. Get yourself a financial planner, all kinds of different things. Budget. Every shot, budget. budget. Next one, spending. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The truth is that our spending is a great revealer. Again, not going to spend a lot of time on this today, but we'll tackle this a, a little bit more in the, in the coming year. But spending, spending impacts our lives. This is where the temptation comes, right? Obedience and sacrifice is where I wanna focus today. It's within the scope of scripture and extremely important when it comes to Christ followers and the issue of money. Let me say this, if you are in this building today and you do not assess yourself to be a follower of Jesus, I just want you to hang out, listen in, and have a, like, just have fun in this moment right here. Because this subject matter is probably gonna, it's gonna cause you to think through some things and everything like that. But if we are Christ followers in here, this applies to us. Come on, this applies to us. All right? Right management is seen in our obedience. The greatest area that this plays itself out in our lives is when it comes to the issue of tithe and sacrifice. Look, let's look at this. The tithe. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 14. talks about the blessings associated with obedience. Now, I want to come, come to Scripture with a very honest reading of it. A lot of people have distrust in the organizations that they're a part of, especially when it comes to the church, because we've seen abuse, we've seen bad management, we've seen bad budgeting, we've seen lives that are, that are not lived in, in humility and modesty. 
And so therefore, when a pastor talks about this area, we think that there's a selfish motive behind it. I wanna just say this out the gate as raw as I can say it. At the end of the day, I don't care what you do with your money. My job is to teach you what to do with it. As your pastor, my job is with confidence and humility to submit all of us to scripture and then from there we have to make the decisions necessary. That's why I said there's not some big giving initiative at the end of this or anything like that. What we see from Old Testament to New Testament is a consistent speaking of our resource. And I know lots of us, lots of people in the world right now, that's why we read that scripture in Timothy, try to create some language around it or say something has been done away with or this no longer applies or so on. But how many of you agree with me? That's a very slippery slope. When we start picking and choosing what applies and what doesn't apply. We'll talk about that. This week, actually, uh, me and another guy in the church, his name's Howie, he works with our LDP program, wait for it to drop. On Monday, him and I are filming why we affirm women in ministry around here. So look for it. Some of you might not be happy about it, but we're gonna work through it with an honest hermeneutic and strong biblical support, okay? Because now at the end of the day, here's where I'm at as your pastor today. I just have this spirit-filled confidence right now to tackle these subjects, come what may, because I know where God is leading us as a church, and we gotta have confidence, and we have to have strength, and we have to have resolve. We can be a deep, theologically, uh, doctrinally uh, positioned church, and at the same time, create a wide breadth for people to come in here and find their way to Jesus. It's both and. Oh, come on, somebody, it's both and. So we're going for it. Historical context. The word tithe means a tenth. Biblically speaking, from the Old Testament, the tithe was a tenth of the produce of the earth consecrated and set apart for a special purpose. The dedication of the tenth to God was recognized as a duty before Moses. This means that the tithe was pre-law. So when people argue and they say, well, the tithe has gone away with the law. Fine, fantastic. The tithe was before the law. Genesis 14, 20, here it is right here. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. It was in response to God. The principle would be observed and followed for generations. Here we go, let's walk through the Old Testament. The first Mosaic law on this subject is recorded in Leviticus, such a fun book, 27, 30 through 34. If you're brand new to the Bible, don't read there yet. It's a doozy. <laughs> Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. If man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be, and I, I don't want to dig into all of this, just kind of hear the, the grander subject matter, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. If he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commands of the Lord, commanded Moses for the people of Israel, Mount Sinai. Other areas of Old Testament scripture referencing the regulation and bringing of the tithe in accordance with Mosaic law. I'm going really fast, just want you to see that the study's been done. Numbers 18, 21 through 24, Numbers 18, 26 through 28, as well as Deuteronomy 12, 5, 6, 11, 17, 14, 22, and 23. Maybe we'll publish these notes later this week. Right after the women in ministry bit. <laughs> the giving of tithes was an important part of the Jewish religious worship. 
Even more so, there was an eagerness to participate. This is the one I love. In the tithe that was brought out during a time of reformation led by Hezekiah. You can read this in Chronicles 31, 5 through to 6. Watch this. As soon as the command was spread abroad, this is the command to give and tithe. Watch this. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. And they brought, it, they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And there was excitement and passion about it. Which then brings us to one of the most popular quoted pieces of scripture referencing the tithe, Malachi 3, 8 through to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. See, a lot of us stop, like we don't read the first part because it's really like harsh sounding. We want it to sound really good and, and Beautiful. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down such a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. See, it was the neglect of the tithe that the product was addressing to these people. The, ne ne the neglect, not of a sum, but rather of a substance, and the substance was obedience. Like so many other times across their history, the people of God had abandoned the reality of obedience. Then comes a shift. We move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the time of Malachi to Matthew, there's a gap of about 400 years. From this period enters Jesus and the ushering in of what is the new covenant. The new covenant is, is established underneath Jesus, underneath his grace. We are saved by grace, not through acts of sacrifice. We talked a little bit about that last week, Nathan did, but we no longer have to sacrifice in order to gain our salvation. So pause for just a second, let me say this. All acts of obedience that we engage in as Christ followers do not earn our salvation. Come on. So you cannot give. You cannot offer yacht and kabod as we talked about last week. Keep your hands down. You cannot serve. You can live your life. You can work your job because I believe that the job space is sacred. You can do all of those things. Not one good work that you put your hand to saves you. It is by grace. It is by his good gift that we are saved. Lest any man should boast. Oh, but there is this great space to operate in when we live in obedience. How do you measure success in your life? Here's my definition of success for me, for our team, for our staff. This is success. Success is found in our obedience. Doesn't matter how we measure things, it's, it's obedience. Did God say? Remember week one? Did God really say? You notice we wrestle through that, did God really say, so that we can justify lack of obedience? That's the basic definition. Now here's a big time scripture. Matthew 5, 17 through to 20. Y'all with me still? It says this, lots of scripture today. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, I'm about to die for your sins so that you no longer have to sacrifice, but it does not take away the call to obedience. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. This scripture will mess with you. And this is going to tail into these other subject matters, power and sex. Not a dot, because what we try to do right now is we try to say, well, the Old Testament doesn't really apply. We just want the Jesus way. Fair assessment. That's the Jesus way. Jesus says this. Therefore, whoever relaxes on the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that kingdom of heaven is still accessible. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, here, let's weave it back in. Puts it this way, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman may be complete equipped for every good work. We're gonna talk about that one next week. Such fun. (laughs) The tithe, amongst so many other things, is a biblical command that at the end of the day has nothing to do with money as much as it has to do with obedience. God's design for each of our lives is to find ourselves in a greater degree of reliance upon him because the opposite of reliance upon him is self-reliance upon us. Which today, many of us don't have idols sitting up in a little shelf somewhere in our house. The idol of our life walks around our house. It's me. I'm my greatest idol. Look what I did today. Look what I made today. Look what I earned today. Look what I produced today. See, when we, when we tithe, when we, when we give, when we're obedient in this area, the reason that it's here is it's to simply say, God, I didn't do this. You did this. It's an acknowledgement that I'm not the man. getting quiet in this church today. (laughs) Obedience and sacrifice. And they're different. The tithe is not sacrificial. I'm just sacrificing right now. No, you're not. Uh Uh-uh. You're being obedient. When my kids, we we live in a house together. Come on, somebody. Okay? I haven't kicked them out yet. Um, (laughs) Part of of their routine is is dishes, helping, helping clean up. Right? If my son or my daughter ever walked around like, I'm just making a sacrifice for the family. I'd be like, no, but I'm gonna show you a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) Obedience is not sacrifice. Sacrifice is when it hurts. And that's a whole other thing. See, obedience, and I want you to see how this breaks away. There is a corporate obedience that's called to the tithe. There is a personal sacrifice that's called to anything outside of that. There's moments around here throughout the year, our legacy offering is one of those moments where we are called to give above and beyond, but that's 100% dependent upon you and God. You've gotta wrestle that thing out. There's been some moments that we've given around here and it hurt. We're like, "Mm." that hurt. There's been moments when Eric and I first planted this church, we came and we planted this church and it was, we were down a salary and a half. Live with my parents as grown adults. That was fun. It was fun. 
Sacrifice. There's, there's times where sacrifice is imputed into the journey of our life, but let's not twist sacrifice and obedience. Come on, somebody. And the reason that this is an issue is because when there's mo money, there's mo problems. <laughs> Obedience can feel like sacrifice, but it's not sacrifice. This is when God asks us to do something that, that hurts a bit, stretch a bit, causes us to exercise a walk on water type of faith. We're called to that, obedience and sacrifice. That's the area that I can give you so much, so much counsel on it as your pastor throughout scripture. We just walked all the way from Genesis to Revelation, the issue of money. Jesus talks about money more than really anything else, more than hell in the Bible. Think about that. Why? Because it's got us captured. It's our temptation. And the reason that I'm coming with just strength right now on this is because we've got to make this part of our nomenclature around here. We can't be afraid, like, like gone to the day, we can't be the type of church that's afraid to tiptoe around this, this subject matter. And I'm not. And I don't want to be. I don't want to be the type of pastor that steps into a pulpit and, and, and like the once a year where I'm trembling in my shoes, be like, okay, church, we're going to talk about money. <laughs> I want to talk about it all the time. Yeah. We're going to talk about power. We're going to talk about sex. These are the three main areas. I want to talk about sex all the time. It's a weird statement if you're online. <laughs> number three, I have a shot number three. Here's the last one. Right margin creates more space for our money. Here's the question. Are we giving God adequate space to move in our lives? 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. Watch this. This scripture will blow your mind. This is amazing. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction. Ever shot affliction? affliction? Okay, he was not talking about the t-shirts. <laughs> For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, obedience. And I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, sacrifice. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, so now Paul's talking about Titus in 1 Corinthians. You can see how this is all connecting. That as he has had started, so he should complete among you this act of, here it is, grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace, also the act of generosity. And we excel in grace when there's margin in our lives. There was margin here for them. They gave themselves first to God, personally reconciling their life with him and then to the, to the plan of God, his will. Think about that. And the only way that we do that is margin. 
Some of us right now, I'm gonna challenge you. God wants you to go on a missions trip in the coming years. But you can't say yes because there's no margin in your money. God wants you to pay for the lunch of the people next to you. But you're stretching it just by taking your family out. No margin. Again, this is not, this is not a shame issue. It's a, it's a discipline issue, a, mar, a margin issue. You know, it's crazy that our church this year, the well, is gonna give, by the time we're all said and done, don't hold this quote loosely because I haven't I gotten the final numbers, but we'll have given away almost two hundred thousand dollars in twenty twenty one for the help of people. Margin. Margin. And notice we didn't stand up here and try to try to uh, well we're taking another offering. We're doing another thing. We, we need to do this. And we've done everything. We're, we're building everything else that we're building and doing everything that we're doing. And we're, we're strengthening our kids' ministry. And we're making sure that youth is taken care of. And we're making sure that people who need help and rent is being paid and churches are being planted. Why? Because there's margin in the house. Here's maybe a better way to put it. Vision moves at the speed of generosity. And generosity is only possible when we create space with our wealth. What would happen if we as a church lived in such a way, measured in such a way, managed in such a way that we created space for God to move in such a way that we saw miracles because we got willing? Here's a crazy statistic that might blow some of you away. Within the church, Christians, the average amount of givers within a church is 14%. That means 14% is carrying the whole. By God's grace, we actually have a higher percentage here. I think we're somewhere around about 18 to 20%. Think about that. What would happen if some of us today were tipped in the direction of obedience, management, right measurement? What if money had no hold on you? What would you do? I got a whole list. You ever played that game? What would I do if I won the lottery? What would I do if a check just showed up in my mail? What would you do? You ever notice that many of us ask God for a blessing that we're not able to steward? God, give me more! It's like, but what are you doing with what you have now? Oh, it's getting quiet in this Lutheran church. I've said this a lot over these past few weeks. I'm gonna end on this. I love you, church, more than you know. We weep over you, we pray over you, we believe with faith over you. I just want you to know if, if there's anything that came out of this mouth today It seemed like it was coming from a heart of of offense. It's not. I'm just trying to present to you the full counsel of God's word. To be a healthy church with great understanding and application of this word right here. 
And I vow to you, my commitment as your pastor to go as deep as I possibly can, to correct where it needs to be corrected, to be spoken to how it needs to be spoken to. And these next three weeks are big time for that. So for week one, this little mini series, what do we do without mo money? What's it weigh? What's its purpose? Are we living in obedience? Are we living sacrificial lives to the glory of God? As we discovered last week, it's our yod and kebab. And I promise you, I promise you, while God's, not, while God's ultimate goal for your life is not prosperity, he could care less if you have spinning rims it's not even a thing anymore, but still. You get my point. He will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing. It may not be resource. It may not be finance. We've been given for a long time. Still not rich. Still don't have a six pack. And I'm losing my hair. But man, we've seen God. We've never not had. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these other things will be added unto you. In Jesus' name.